Hello, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am, for the 100th time, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of one of you games. I make tabletop role-playing games. And yet again, for the 100th time, I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. Yes, episode 100. Uh, I am Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I make games to tabletop role-playing style games. Um, and this is episode 100, and it's going to probably be like a two-parter. That's the plan here. Um, but part uh, we're going to start with part A. Um, and we are here with two guests because we've got questions and answers, questions from the listeners that we're going to answer. Um, and we brought two people in here to uh, so that Jess and I can slack off even more and do <laughs> even less of the talking. Um, by bringing in uh, two guests instead of one. So first up, hello, Liana. Hello. Uh, uh, my name is Liana McKenzie. I am the owner and uh, owner of Valor's Games, co-creator of Valor, uh, which is a anime-style tabletop RPG. And uh, I do a lot of things and occasionally sleep, but not often. <laughs> <laughs> You, you you get that in your schedule even a little bit one hour that'll do you that depends on it you know <laughs> and we also have a second guest i think this is the first time we've done this with two it guests is. and our second guest is starshine hello starshine hi congrats on the big 100 guys thank <laughs> you yes congrats on that that's very exciting milestone oh, it's thank, massive yeah. thank you for being on as guests as well both repeat guests, as many of our guests are, two very special guests for our episode. Starshine, uh, Liana introduced herself a little bit. How about uh, you go ahead and introduce yourself a little sure, bit? Sure, I'm Starshine Scribbles. I'm a tabletop role-playing game designer who has designed... I've done at least two games, depending <laughs> how we're defining the word game today. But yeah, I design games, do content creation, and all that kind of stuff. I'm a general internet annoyance. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, but yeah, as Craig said, we're going to do a Q&A, and uh, we have a list of questions that were sent in from our listeners, and uh, we are, there, like like you said, there's a mix of some GMing questions, there's a mix of some other questions uh, related to design and publishing, and um, I think what I'm going to start with is one of these, uh, because we have way more design and publishing questions and personal opinion preference questions than we do GMing questions. <laughs> So I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to start with a design and publishing question before we talk about GMing. So a little bit different than our normal format here. Um, so the the one question on here that really stood out to me was the what inspired you to create your own system rather than using an existing one? Did it start with an existing system and evolve into its own and that stood out to me because I feel like that's that's the line where a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm really a game designer now. I made my own system. So let's start there. What inspired you to do that instead of just make something for somebody else's game or design based on someone else's system? Liana, I know that you've done this. Oh, goodness. I guess it's time to talk about spite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate. Here we go. So, okay. Uh, story time. Um, I was actually talking about this a bit on Twitter when I decided to get a bit spicy about D&D &D and anime. Um, 
Okay, so I, uh, way back in college, uh, we Bleach was huge, we were, we were, and we we're like, hey, it would be really cool to run a Bleach TTRPG. Uh, so I started modding D20 for it, because, you know, everyone played D&D 3.5 at the time. Um, we tried Besom. I hated Besom. I despise Besom. Uh, I just, I, it is not the system for me. Um, and uh, I did it. It was like a hundred plus pages of rewrites and it, it, it worked well enough. Uh, like Bleach D20, as I called it, would go on to be supported by other groups who, who were just like, hey, since you're done with this, do you mind if we take it and do, your own, do our own thing? I was like, yeah, sure, do whatever. Um, and then they would go on to support it for like at least 10 years thereafter. Um, but like, it was such a pain to do. And even though I got it to work, I didn't feel like I got it to work well, that eventually I was just like, screw it, I'm gonna make my own system to actually do anime right. And with also kind of the thought in the back of my head, like I don't necessarily, I, I want to work creatively. Maybe this would be a good portfolio piece. Maybe, you know, like Watsi or something would hire me, um, you know, after I graduated. And then I loved my system too much to, want to work on other stuff and I instead committed to the lifelong folly of trying to produce an original tabletop RPG in an industry that is completely owned by Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Not completely. We get, we get a little tiny, tiny slice over 5%, here. 5%, yeah. 5%, that's very generous of you. <laughs> How about you, Starshine? See, for me, it's kind of a bit, a bit weird because I started making, like, for years, I've always been sort of making games, but just never had anything to do with them. Like, one of my earliest memories is sort of reverse engineering the Pokemon TCR, uh, the TCG, and building, like, a whole thing on it. I wish I still had those cards yeah. because I actually predicted one of the mechanics that would come later. Okay. I was like, oh, right, that they added that later on, and I, I could probably try and sue Nintendo and... <laughs> fail but it'd be funny nonetheless but then so I was always doing that but I didn't sort of know what to do with them because like how do you approach it I didn't know a publisher for games didn't know self-publishing was an option so for, for years I just made stuff shoved it on a hard drive and forgot about it and then so I started publishing sort of random D&D stuff during some downtime so I was like hey have you heard of DMs Guild? And then that, I started doing that. And through doing that, I was like, oh, I can just self-publish stuff. Like, there isn't need to find a man in a suit somewhere and pitch to him or that. So then I sort of went back to it. So for me, I was always making original games. I just sort of diverted for a short period of time until I sort of knew there was a place I could put those things. And the reason I keep doing it is because finding the experiences I want is hard. So I developed for specific experiences, be that like one of my first games was because I wanted to do a Three Stooges game, which D&D doesn't really account for. <laughs> the, the roll to Curly just doesn't work. You can't really add that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's, it's a very specific thing. And then that's always been my game. There's always like a specific, this is an experience I want to make or a sort of a genre I want to emulate. And there just isn't the option for that in existing games. So here you go. And then, yeah, just built from there. But I was doing sort of original stuff first and then 
diverted because I've always wanted to make those very tailored experiences. I've always been over specific to my own fault is what I believe we could sum this up as. I, I mean, that really fits in with what Liana said too, because we're, we're designing for that specific experience. Why try to mash anime, for example, or the three, three stooges into D and D when your game is going to do it better. Cause you designed with it in mind, like intentionally. No, that's that's kind of where I'm at is I have not yet come up with a game idea that I really want to pursue that fits well into a particular system that kind of does certain things well and, you know, has certain strengths and certain weaknesses. And so I end up with just like I'm going to design something of my own. And they're usually like personal challenges to myself, like murders and acquisitions. It was I just want to design a system, a simple dice system just to see if I can do it. And Capers was like, well, I want to do something that uses playing cards and no dice. What can I do with that? And so I've just explored different things, mostly as as just kind of challenges to try something new. Yeah, I just wanted to try stuff out too. Also, like, like Liana said too, like Spite does have a lot to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> there are things that I don't like about other games and I want them to be in a game that I made. And also I am... You know, I feel like everyone has a little bit of an ego too. Like, oh, I could do this better. Like, I could try. I could. I could do it too. Um, I think that, <laughs> that has a lot to do with it. I actually, um, like my our first published game was powered by the apocalypse, though. So, um, not. It's. I mean, it's a system that we used. Um, but we were going to make a game, of like our own to start and it was very overwhelming by we i mean me and my husband alex who designed games together um and when we were like trying to go over how we would do this and how and it just became a project that was like way too big and out of our hands so we went to a system that i was really familiar with and i liked um and then um and then we tried something different later for a published like a printed published book but um i just it was there there are reasons why I feel like I like want to jump into a system that already exists because the framework's there. There are design elements that you can just like tweak and make fit into a certain kind of project. Um, but there's always the like this doesn't work anywhere else. I want to try something that will work for for the three stooges. I do want the roll to curly and I do need the hijinks and the poking of eyes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. We all have um, some varied, but that similar thread running through uh, why we ended up doing this, why we ended up uh, designing our own. Um, this kind of this one is a little uh, related, possibly. Uh, what's the one thing you would have done differently with an earlier game? Oh boy! <laughs> Let's examine our past mistakes. <laughs> Well, I've managed to weed out a lot of my mistakes through playtesting. Um, so there, I've, I've talked about things that I tried to do with systems that didn't pan out. Um, boy, what would I have done differently? Um, I think I didn't, I didn't believe in myself enough with the first game with mergers and acquisitions. Like I even said here, like I'm going to try to make a game system, any game, anything, just like, just do it. Um, and I think, you know, in the years since then, I've proven to myself anyway that I can do something um, more robust, more complex. I could have, I think, there's a part of me that wishes murders and acquisitions um, 
had a little more depth to it as far as a system goes. Like I could have built something a little like an, another notch above where it is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think, and this, honestly, this is, this, this is like the big thing I would do if I were to make a Valor version two at some point down the road. Um, the way I ended up setting up the stats, I, I wanted to have this progression of stat growths between like the kind of the five core attributes where you have that nice, like consistently increasing your stat numbers, they go up. So you feel like you have that progression, but I did find that it makes our math end up a lot more complex and just because those values change all the time, like leveling up becomes a bit of a process. Uh, so I would probably be looking at a way to actually bring that closer to what you see in games like D&D where your attributes are more set factors and finding other ways to, uh, to give you kind of that nice stat progression and increase within the way you wanted to build your character. Starshine. Oh, this is like this is like a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like therapy. Yeah, listen, listen. I don't hate myself. I just have this list of things I've done wrong in my life. <laughs> Honestly, for a lot of games, it would have been going harder with the themes. I think I pulled back from a lot of stuff early on. Like, um, sort of originally for fuck this up. The original plan was going to be much more designed with. The entire thing was going to be written in sort of 1940s Three Stooges speak, but I pulled back from that thinking people wouldn't get the reference. And turns out people <laughs> did and people liked it. It's like, ah, oh, God, I could have really gone all in on this. Also, I probably wouldn't have named it as I did because the fuck in the title has caused me all sorts of problems with distribution. <laughs> it's a shame because it's, it's really popular, but most places won't touch it with a barge pole because it's got a swear in it. It's like, ah. Oh. I mean, it's one of those things I go, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. But at the time, the idea that a store would even look me in the eye rather than just pointing and saying, get out, <laughs> is absurd. I'm like, eh, I had no way of knowing that. But that probably, yeah, I would have gone harder on that and I probably would have removed the fuck. Also, I would, <laughs> I knew more about public domain. I didn't know, sort of, I've got better with licensing over time. So like, I probably would have been able to sort of push the public domain angle a bit more. I was always right. very nervous about getting sued, and I, I don't want to risk it. But now I realize, yeah, I probably could have got away with being much more overt with what that's about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, there's like a lot of like those little like the things you learn when you start publishing that the, when it comes to licensing or or Creative Commons or even like where can you source your like how do you do a contract for your artists? Where can you find? creative commons are like all these little things that we have to kind of learn as we go or find online um i i think i would what i would like to see from more indie creators is version twos like 2.0s 3.0s if 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 dnd can get away with it if they can they can make a completely different game and then no one looks back at their previous game they're like well this company sucks because did you see what they did with 4e um i think we should be able to make our own second editions and publish them and then make people buy them all over again i i want i want <laughs> us to aspire to this let us do our own and also I just, I, pathfinder I, i'm just i'm just hoping D D for ease themselves again personally like <laughs> i want that to happen because then maybe some of us can get more than that's the most ominous bit of innuendo. 
I'm, I'm now using 4E yourself as my new go-to insult. Go for E yourself. <laughs> I'm concerned that that there there are indie game indie game publishers out there that do second and third editions of things. Um, they tend to be uh, indie game publishers that are doing fairly well. Like you know, there's a second edition of um, uh, Magpie's got at least one. Urban Shadow's got a second edition. I think they, right. do they have something else that's got a second okay. edition. But Magpie's pretty solid. You know. A company with 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 a, a good size audience and plenty of games and they they do very well. Um, I think a lot of indie people in our position are kind of like if I do a second edition, it's like everybody's kind of seen this before. The people who are into the idea already have it. I just I I, I have a hard time thinking that you know I, I I worry that a lot of people wouldn't go in on it for the second time around. Like like I don't know. It's it's. No, I it's even it's even scarier than than trying to get the first game out there. <laughs> well, I mean, and like I, I don't know if this qualifies as an indie, but Besom released a fourth edition recently, um, and they're kind of like in that old school publishing house. Uh, I know this because I watch them very carefully because I consider them to be competitor. And uh, <laughs> there's a legacy factor there, though the yeah. simple the simple fact that they've been around so long. There are longtime fans; they know they have an audience that will check out the in new edition just because they love the old edition. In my observation, though, it didn't do great. So, it well, I mean, it's also a different world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, like, there's, there's it's, a lot more a lot more games than it's a risk. Yeah. It's super expensive to make a new edition, and yeah. like especially if you're targeting like kind of mid scale mid-scale development which i know i i tend to like i want to look like i'm i'm actually like a small company as opposed to a girl in her in her office <laughs> ramming through things and and self-funding with her day job but it's expensive like that's uh that's a whole topic for a future episode yeah how expensive it is or or can be anyway but that's a digression what do we got? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that just it is expensive to create a second print run. Uh, I I do small print runs. If I run out of any of these books that I've already printed, it's going to be immediately a new edition. I'm not printing out any more of these old ones. They are going to be new ones with cooler stuff in them. And I'm going to be <laughs> I'll put a big old two, 2 2.0 on the front. I'll put it, <laughs> it will be expensive to, to do more. But if I sell out of them, that means I made money on them. So <laughs> go, go get them, Jess. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. I'm gonna do a, a let's be grandma two e. Too fast, um, too furious. <laughs> uh, you know th that was it was a very subtle um, segue there that Craig did. I'm usually the segue person, and I'm sorry <laughs> that I like talked over your segue. But we do have a question here: How in the world does one price RPG products? <laughs> the, the, the question how in the world does one price rpg products oh uh, um, for the record that is how the question was written yeah how in the world i didn't spice it up how in the world starshine how in the world <laughs> I, I i could just i could just hear the tone that person wrote that with their head and i'm like oh sweetie come here come for a hug <laughs> oh um Basically, you get a load of bones, throw them in a pot, shake them, and the first ones that land up is the dollar value. No, uh, it's an absolute <laughs> nightmare that I wish I could give you a flat formula for, but it's a bit of a cargo cult, unfortunately. You're going to have to experiment with what works for you, and that depends on sort of 
the big question you have when you're pricing games is how many do you actually want to sell? Now, I will underprice, and pull the curtain back here, I will underprice certain games because I want them to sell more copies. I have certain games that exist for me as a loss leader product that I lose money on, but they're good to sort of get people interested. As like, here's a really cheap way you can experiment with my design, and then here's the nice, big, more expensive project when you've sort of got an idea. Because I know that I'm sort of an unknown quantity. So sometimes you might decide that I'm going to price this low, price this, or go in knowing this is going to be a cheaper product. But from there, it's a lot of looking at what the market is and adjusting as needed. Uh, I've heard sort of the old school way of doing it is $3 a page, which I believe is absolute nonsense because I've never seen that play out. I've got a formula for you. Oh, tell me your formula. Um, this part. does not come, this does not come from me, and it's 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 based on my my recollection. A fellow named Douglas Cole from Gaming Ballistic Blog um, tried to figure out if for the the titles that we kind of like from the big publishers and the in the you know the like he didn't look a lot at like smaller scale stuff that you might see at itch.io and stuff like that. It was you know like the bigger like physical books and stuff that you see from some of the bigger publishers, and he broke it down to, and it's so like arbitrary but it kind of works out for a lot of the of the books or comes close anyway which was you take the square root of the page count and then you apply a modifier to it between one and 3.5 and you multiply by that modifier that multiplier one is it's soft cover black and white not terribly high production value relatively inexpensive to produce the physical book, right? And then 3.5 is you multiply by 3.5 if it's hardcover, fancy, high production value, full color interior, lots of art, um, you know, just like all the bells and whistles. Um, and he said, like he 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 sampled like a hundred or a hundred plus like kind of well-known titles and stuff. And it's like it kind of fit. Um, now that said. Everything that Starshine has said is absolutely true. There's there's people make decisions to do different things at different level, you know, different pricings. Like I I put I put die laughing. It's online, like during the week, you know, any any given day, it's like twenty five dollars. But that's so that I can put it on sale for twenty, which is a nice number. Um, and at conventions, it's always twenty. A soft cover of die laughing because twenty is a price point that people look at and go, that's not expensive. I'll buy that. You know, it's 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 uh it's an impulse buy. Um. That a lot of people can can afford, especially if they're at a convention and they're planning to buy a bunch of stuff in the vendor hall. So there's a lot of those types of decisions that go into it. Um, I am a big believer that the vast majority of our role-playing game products out there are vastly underpriced for their value, um, for their long playability and that sort of thing. Um, but, and everybody says that. And nobody raises prices because you're still competing with everybody else to kind of try to, you know, like not get um, priced out of the market by by overpricing. That said, I have, you know, also decided, you know, PDFs are just as valuable um, as the physical books, um, minus the fact that, like, if you take out production of, like, you know, paper, ink, glue, cardboard, um, a PDF requires just as much work to get it all get the game designed and edited and laid out and artwork and everything else 
you're just not paying for the physical this and that and for the final process of getting that, you know, getting files ready to to be able, be able to print. So a PDF can be, doesn't have to be super cheap, but people put stuff on sale all the time too. So that's something to keep in mind for anybody out there who's wondering. He's like, you set it for a price that seems reasonable to you and then do a sale every now, every now and then and you'll get a spike because people will go like, oh, that's like a really good deal. It doesn't have to be a sale as well. I know if you're selling online, then pretty much every storefront, you can go in and tweak your price whenever you feel like it. You can change it four times a day if you want. But there's nothing wrong with aiming high and then go later on deciding to that, go back that down. That does get a bit harder though if you put your uh, MSRP on mm. the on the books. That is if, if, you, if you're doing a print run, yeah, that uh, that becomes a problem. Yep. But That's why yeah, I, don't, do, if, I don't do it. <laughs> Leanna, where do you find, fall on the algorithm to throwing bones at a pot scale? <laughs> so, so you remember how I mentioned I'm a businesswoman? uh earlier yeah okay (laughs) we're getting into it so uh i uh benchmarked based on target quality and on industry so when i made valor i was targeting kind of that small press equivalent of like shadow run or similar um kind of lower scale uh games but still like something that in a world in which dnd didn't own the market uh you could you could see how they would be pricing. So I was also looking at D&D, uh, which at the time was $50 per book. Um, so I, with a single core book that is fully makes the game fully playable, I targeted a $45 price point. Um, in general, there are a lot of things you do want to consider. And I, I personally am of the opinion that if you are targeting a higher quality with hardcover, you should be hitting a high, high price point. Um, in terms of like production cost, I would I would say I have the numbers somewhere, but I think I think it's like seven to seven fifty of fully wrapped cost for each one of my books. But if I'm going to send it through distribution, which is kind of the goal, if you're trying to get these books out into stores, is you want to send it through a distributor, uh, you're gonna make maybe forty percent off of that, um, fifty if you're lucky, but don't expect it. Um, and then also you have to pay shipping. Uh, I know running these books out to Tennessee, you can't really do like media mail, right? Because that's going to just end up with them damaged. So you got to you gotta pay easily $100 per box to get it out there. So that adds to your cost. Um, and then the amount of money you get back. Those margins are actually get pretty thin pretty quick. Uh, so if you're trying to sell your stock, you want to make sure that you are not selling at a loss. Uh, and on top of that, you know, you want to make sure that, uh, you, you can, you can make that, that profit that is coming in is going to be sufficient to fund your next venture. Um, I don't, I don't encourage people to sell anything at a loss personally, um, because we need to understand that we're selling luxury products. Like these are, these are not these are not essentials and it's okay to value your work highly and have the confidence to say no this like i put this much work and money into this book this is what it's going to cost and then your job is just to sell people on the value of that product and if that product has that value they will they will pay for it um Price point, in my experience, is much less of a 
is much less of an impediment than just convincing someone to try something that isn't D&D. &D. <laughs> yeah, no, that is for a very sure. fair point. Yeah, very fair point. Um, I, I notice when when I sell things at a convention, I, I sell other people's books on behalf of the Indie Game Developer Network at our booth. And I hardly ever notice someone flinch over the cost of a book. If they want the book, they're going to pay what price you put on the book. That's typically, yes, there will be people who will see something that says, oh, it's $20. I'll give that a try. But if they're actually interested in it, too, like, let's say someone comes up to Craig's booth. They see Die Laughing. They love horror movies. They would probably buy that book even if you had it listed at $50. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll try it out. But... The $20 does entice people who might not necessarily be all that interested in their me or maybe they're thinking like, uh, I don't have a big group of people who might come to play. I might be spending this money and then we never actually play it. Um, and then that $20 might be that convincing point, but I've never seen someone flinch at an anime convention. They definitely don't flinch. There are 20 year olds out there with like literally a thousand dollars to spend and they bought so many <laughs> books. They bought so many books. Anime bless the anime nerds let me say this i i i love anime we, too we spend a lot of money as it turns out they are there <laughs> when they go to an anime convention they are there to spend their money on cool stuff because that's what they like at a gaming convention people are a little bit more like mm, i have a budget um <laughs> how dare I, think it's worth, I, I do think it's worth noting too um there it caveat to they won't balk at the price make sure you're pricing hardcover versus paperback appropriately. Yes, um, yes. Because a paperback, like our best-in-class book, we sell for 30 and then we knock $5 off pricing um, at convention. And that's about as high as I would go on a paperback. Like, it's a good quality, uh, all of that. Um, 30 ensured that with the printing and the transit costs especially, I could actually make my money back because COVID turned turn shipping into a absolute hellscape. Um, sure and I, I can sell, I can sell this book, but, um, I think if I were to go any, any higher than 30, I would have a lot of problems. So and when it comes down to it, there's no one right answer for how yeah. in the world and you price your product. And to speaking to Jess's point about like people, like if they're, if they're genuinely interested in the book, they'll probably pay five or 10 bucks more than what you're asking. You don't necessarily know what that is. So you just kind of have to set a price and hope. Um, and then when it comes to getting the game into the hands of the people who are on much tighter budgets because they are uh, currently unemployed or or um, just don't have a lot of money, um, the there's always the opportunities to um, to put PDFs up for community copies, to donate to charitable organizations, to who distribute games to people. There's different ways to get the games into hands of other people as well. I mean, hell, I literally had somebody this week. Um, tell me tell me that they really loved a game of mine and and got kind of like they, they tugged at my heartstrings and so i <laughs> sent them the pdf because i was like and then they because they, they just didn't have any money they just like, like i really want to play this game but it and um i've done that yeah i mean just like i'll get the game into people's hands <laughs> um but the, for the people who can't afford it and that's their thing that's like like liana said this is these are luxury products they're gonna don't don't be afraid um and then as Sarshine said, you can always walk it back a little bit if you feel you need to. So I'm just, again, not doing any work on my part, just listening to all of you and reiterating your points. <laughs> but they all kind of play together well. Like that kind of answers the question as a holistic response from all four of us. Here's a, here's a related question. 
and I, I consider this related because of things I do on behalf of the IGDN. Uh, there was a glut of game buying and something of a glut of game making with the pandemic and the following years. Will there be a downturn again, or are there enough newer gamers in the hobby that this wave will keep rising? Now, I don't know who ans- who asked this question, but I feel like there's a little bit of the op- there, a lot of people were buying games and a lot of people were making them, but not a lot of people at least in the indie scale in my organization, we're printing new games um, during the years of 2020 to 2022. There were, I felt like there was a little downturn there. However, I do agree that there was a big uptake in people who like to play certain types of games. What do you all think about that? Will there be a downturn again? Or is this wave going to keep rising and rising until literally 7 billion people on the earth are playing? <laughs> <laughs> ever increasing um the the ever increasing market starshine oh yeah never bet on a trend going up forever that's how you end up with every major company failure of the last 50 years um yeah the, obviously there was i think less printing during 2020 but then of course there was because most printing places were closed in most countries um i know in my country this is canada that was specifically a thing Getting anything done for a year was near impossible if you weren't in sort of a core industry, and printing isn't a core industry. There definitely was the rise in designers, and I think that will continue to go up. I sort of don't think the sort of rise in people making games was a 2020 thing specifically. I think it was. it's always sort of been growing, and 2020 is when people sort of stopped to notice it a lot more. Um. But yeah, I think it'll keep growing. I think everything is always going to have its ups and downs. And I think the thing of the creative industry is you don't really have a crash in the traditional market sense in that more people are making films now. Look at YouTube and all that. There hasn't really been a moment where that drops. Some years there are less than others, but it's never been like suddenly a massive bottoming out and everybody leaves to go. Not sure what you do after making films. You you buy a submarine, actually. To fund your next film, to fund your next submarine mission. I'm talking about James Cameron. Oh, uh, (laughs) I'm talking about James Cameron. (laughs) I say topical humor here. Topical. uh... No, I'm I'm talking. I realized that. Oh wait, that was too much in the news. I was talking about James Cameron. (laughs) That's like the worst example. I'm going to buy a submarine. To be fair, if you want to go into a, a crashing industry now and get in at the bottom, submarines, good place. But no, I think definitely are more and um. I was looking at uh, earlier, uh, Pocket Quest, the thing drive through RPG run. That has, I think, 80 games, at least half of those are new people on their first game. So we're going to see a constant sort of rise and fall. I think the thing with looking at designer numbers as a sort of thing is because it's so accessible, people may not design for two years, but they're still a designer. They just not visibly, because you've got something you can sort of look at as you can with, say, a sort of a centralized industry, I'm trying to think of another good example, but you can't, there's no real good headcount for how many RPG designers there are. We don't have a census yet. So I do think we're going to see this sort of continued rise. There are going to be little dips and dabs here and there, especially sort of bigger sort of step-ons, like certain big actual plays come and go. 
But I think things are going to stay doing well because things are becoming more accessible and increased accessibility means more people get in, even if they don't stay in long term. We'll see that little. I think it's good. But yeah, the pandemic banjaxed a lot of people for obvious reasons. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, there there have been a lot more people who are interested in different types of games, too, from the pandemic. A lot of people got into journaling games, solo games, games that you can play online without having to be in front of people. I think that that was a huge. Yeah, journaling games had a massive, massive thing Yeah, for that, for that year, which is quite impressive how quickly that went from someone who was kind of watching it go from never heard of to everybody in their dog has heard of was probably one of the quickest things I've seen of that type. Like how sort of quickly that embedded itself in TTRPG culture was quite impressive. They're still popular too. People want to oh. buy new new journaling games because it's a game you can play and you don't need that group to to sit down with you. It can just be you and your imagination and whatever you're playing with. Liana, what do you think? Uh, this journaling game is actually super interesting because I was going to talk about um the hobby as it is just be due to the requirements to get it together where you need five-ish people who can all schedule time together be it online or in person like that's a heavy lift for a lot of people uh so while while obviously like being in the hobby I think that's great and I love it um it's hard to do uh so I think <laughs> I think in that regarded we are always going to be a niche um but because popular actual plays have hit because you know there there's more in into the popular culture and because i i honestly i think that we as a space did capitalize pretty well in the pandemic all things considered um with like online play and, and, you know, play over Zoom or whatever, um, we are able to, to give people a way to connect with people without having to physically be there. Um, I think that was a positive that isn't going to go away necessarily, but as we are moving into a world in which we pretend that there isn't a pandemic anymore, um, there will probably be some dips. Uh, I think I think overall the games will be healthy enough to buoy the industry beyond where it was. Um, I certainly would not plan on that. Uh, and I know for me as a general business strategy, I still think that finding new markets is very important for us, um, especially because there are, in my opinion, untapped markets of people who have not been traditionally served by the core product offerings in the industry. And there are people who are looking for like journaling games that have the solo experience. Like there are people who, who don't know these games exist, but would be thrilled if they could find them. Uh, so I guess in summary, positives, we'll probably see some, some hills and valleys we still need to be working to find new audiences outside of those that exist because the, frankly, the, the core audience that exists is not sustainable for basically any indie companies. Um, There's just not enough people and not enough money there for any of us to really do this full time or whatever. 
Um, and, and I've said it before and I will say it again, I, I am convinced that if TTRPGs are your only product, you will, you will never pass the hobbyist rate because it's just, there's not enough of a customer base to sustain your, uh, to sustain like you, much less other employees. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for, for me, games are, we've, we always play games. Humans have played games since humans played before humans were humans. We've played games. Um, and that's never going to stop, but the, the types of games that we play and the types of stories that we tell, cause we are also a storytelling species. Um, that's not going to stop. There's always going to be people out there who want a sort of experience like what tabletop role-playing games or, or board games or card games for that matter give. Um, but we don't know like what the future will look like when it comes to that. Are there going to be new types of games like this? I mean, our industry is only like not that old. It's not even a hundred years old yet. Um, but I agree with Liana, like finding those new markets is really important. Um, there are people literally at like who go to gaming conventions who have never played a tabletop role playing game. They're there for the board game. They're there for the card game. Um, but what's unfortunate, I feel like for the indie industry, um, and maybe this will change in the future. Maybe there will be another big boom. But the kinds of games that get put into a mainstream sort of bookstore, I'm thinking like the kinds of books that you might see if you walk into Barnes and Noble or to Target are a traditional type of role-playing game. They're not they're not indie games. They're not games that are specifically targeting um, women or queer people. They are not specifically targeting children even. They're for the traditional RPG market of people that you would imagine, like people that your your boomer friends would imagine play d and that's like the target audience for the ones that you see in these in these big box stores um, because those are the types of companies as well that are able to produce at a level and put forth capital, which I don't have. I don't have any capital. I live, I, I rent an apartment. I have no capital. <laughs> and I, that means I can't pay all the money that that I need for marketing to convince Target to have my book on their shelves. That's not, it's probably never going to happen for me, to be honest. Um, but um, I, that's why I really like that we are, we are niche as like, as indie game developers, because they're, that we provide a space for these people who don't feel represented. Um, Starshine, I think that you were talking about like that feeling of representation. Um, but as soon as you get like a big enough company together, that is making marketing decisions, that's making the decisions on this is what's going to sell the most, well, people tend to default right back to the 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 20 to 30 something, 20, 30, 40 something white guy with all of his 20 to 30, 40 something white guy friends playing D&D. Like that's kind of what it defaults to. I guess what I'm saying is I like that it's niche. I don't think... I, that's hard for people who want to be in in games as a full time job, um, and that's maybe a flaw in the system that we live in. Uh, but uh, I, I I like that uh, we kind of have wiggle room as indie designers. In that that's what I'm saying. Per circle yeah. for another four E crash. Yeah, yeah. If there was another four E crash, or opposite, we get like a tulip bubble mania 
for games. <laughs> People are just buying them and buying them and buying them, and we can have a nice bubble. I think that would be fun. But not. To <laughs> I, the I think end of, of the two, bubble. the 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 second D and D crash is probably a bit more likely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, know. I think so. I'm going to buy 200 tulips just in case. <laughs> I'll uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. Oh, Oops. go ahead. No, no. I was say um, sort of the thing about bookstores. It isn't unusual for sort of new genres to rise into sort of mainstream stores very quickly, and it's happened more than once with just clever marketing. Um, I always go back to one of my favorite books, Kit Williams' Masquerade, that somehow kicked off a whole genre of treasure hunt books because it just took one guy to be like, "This is what I'm doing," and then the whole genre burst came across. And I think looking. I think that will be something, you know, finding new markets, finding new ways to market it. He took the puzzle book and was like, this isn't a puzzle book. This is an armchair treasure hunt full of pictures of rabbits. And <laughs> that twist meant people went mad for it. If you ever if you ever read The Quest of the Golden Rabbit, it's an amazing story of how for two years this, guy, this artist made England obsessed with mysteries. I have never heard of this before. I It's a whole story. Uh, I recommend looking into it. The Quest of the Golden Rabbit? The Quest for the Golden Rabbit. Basically, an artist guy called Kit Williams made an art book which had a puzzle in it, which was like, I've hidden a golden rabbit somewhere in a field. Solved this puzzle to find it. Long story short, uh, some teachers did, but they were beaten to it by Kit's ex-girlfriend, who basically told someone the answer. (laughs) Then even worse, someone, someone who found the rabbit sold it to make a second puzzle, which was a scam. That's fascinating. Is there a book about this? The, the book is called The Question of the Golden Rabbit. Okay, it's written so that, by I the thought, guy. I thought that you meant the book that the guy made oh, was called. No, the book was called Masquerade. And the, the book have... about it is called Quest of the Golden Rabbit, written by Bamba Gascoigne, who is a name that the four British people listening to this podcast will go, oh, Bamba Gascoigne, and you'll just look at me blankly for. Yeah. <laughs> I have a new deep dive to get into after this is done. Like, I I'm recommend it. I will send you a video to... about it because Please. it's very, very clever. Please. Um, <laughs> okay, that's yeah, what again, we're talking about it, with new markets. Literally, <laughs> it literally takes one clever marketing twist at the right time to totally turn things upside down. Same with the video game crash. Look how that ended. Nintendo built a little robot guy and went, you know what people like? They like robots. Video games are back, people. Yeah. Takes Basically, be creative, because who the fuck knows what's going to take off? <laughs> um, and, and the four of us, and, and you know, for those of you out there who might be thinking about making your little, making your games, making indie games, um, one thing that helps to buoy our hobby um, and that's why I believe it's kind of going to continue to rise and do well for, you know, the, like you said, dips, ups and downs, but generally continue to do well, at least for a while, is the fact that it's not just a playing a game hobby. It is a collection hobby. It is a read an interesting world hobby. It is a, I like to dig into the rules and see what people come up with for cool rules hobby. There are like eight or 10 ways to enjoy a role-playing game book. And only one of them is to play the game. Um, and so I, I, I say, as I look across the room here at my collection of role-playing games, many of which I've read, um, in part or all of, and have never once played. And I know there are many, many, many gamers out there like that. Um, so for everybody who plays D and D and only D and D and buys every D and D book, there are also indie gamers who only play indie games and buy all sorts of indie game books, but only get a chance to play occasionally, but they still support the market and they support the indie game designer. There are indie designers I know that have literal, like a literal fan base 
who will like come up to me like, oh my gosh, like here's here's an interaction that I had at Origins the past weekend. Oh my gosh, this book is by Robert Turk. My husband is such a Robert Turk fanboy. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I, I love I, that for him. <laughs> I know I know like seven people who buy every one of my games. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you, there might be three that, that I don't you can know. Get that number up to ten thousand, you can probably do this full time. So yeah. you know, keep at it. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but you also never know like when something is gonna get a like like starship and stuff. you never know when something's gonna get an inordinate amount of attention literally it takes one retweet from matt mercer for your stuff to skyrocket or you could do what like metal weave games did and sell a really cute owlbear baby plushie and then now also the D movie had an owlbear in it and now even more people want this owlbear plushie and now there are people who are selling owlbear plushies that aren't metal weave games and like there's this whole market there for all of this like there's like so many things that can go into it meanwhile i have my fourth edition player's handbook for D. it's like literally sitting right next to me i'm using it as like my cup holder so, I mean, <laughs> there's another market there. <laughs> it's funny because I actually like, as much as I, I bash it, I loved fourth edition. I, it was probably my favorite edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I, I, I like that's here, the Here's just a bit, of, a bit of advice I would personally like to add. The tabletop RPG market, it's so nascent and there's still so much ground that hasn't been tapped. I personally believe you should pursue interesting ideas that no one else is doing because that's probably your best bet to blow up is don't trade, don't try and chase trends, try and set trends. Ooh, love that. Bam, bam. <laughs> I, 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 if I were in this to make a lot of money, I wouldn't be doing this specifically. I would be just making a lot of, I, what I lovingly refer to as games for boys, where you're just hitting stuff with swords, I um, I I would just be making those instead of games for um punk queer kids who like to to break down the government. That's what I make. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I still like my I like D and I do like to play it. I know that that is um sometimes an unpopular opinion but uh not that unpopular it is the most popular okay game. that's fair it is <laughs> the, the most popular <laughs> it's the most popular game i mean among like people who are indeed designers D D gets a lot of crap but there's there was a tweet that i was um reading the other day like yesterday literally like how people don't want to play D D. they want to be part of a community and like they're they're like I somewhat agree with that, like the idea that there's a community, but I also think that indie TTRPGs itself is a community. Um, and just because it's not a community based around one product, which has its own issues anyway, like the fact that it's based around like a set of a type of product, like this is a like it this is a bunch of people who are pursuing something creatively, who are making fun things, who are getting together and supporting each other. Um, I think that there's, there's something to like market. No, no, then I say the word market and I feel like, oh, let's, 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 let's monetize our friendship. What are you trying to do to our beautiful indie space? Honestly, honestly, if I had to do it, I would say that like the D&D &D fandom would be like kind of a more general, like 
music genre fandom and the indie community would be like the punk scene of that. Mm, yeah. That most people think we're kind of weird and we shout at each other a lot. And that's true. We shout at each other an awful lot. Uh, yes. <laughs> and argue and <laughs> have our own little factions. And... Like if D&D is rock or pop rock, indies are, are punk. And with with all of the with all of the benefits and baggage that that entails, that's such a good metaphor for that. Uh, we're we're about here at this this hour mark, and if we're gonna split this episode into into two sets of episodes, um, we still have a lot of questions to dig into. Um, but that was that was one that I was particularly passionate about. We talked about that one for quite a bit. Um, are there any final thoughts on on that question or anything that we want to add before we take a break and move on to the next set of questions? No, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we wrap up here by uh, <laughs> by giving Liana and Starshine a bit of a chance to say where we can find their games, where we can promote, uh, find and promote their stuff. Uh, and then we'll close out here and then we'll pop back in for part two, part B of episode 100. Um, the second edition. <laughs> part Liana, the second. Liana, where can we find your stuff? Uh, all right. Um, so you can find my games uh, at valorousgames.com. Uh, that is our website. Uh, you can also find find us on Twitter at Valorous Games and then at Valor Liana for myself. I have also set us up on Blue Sky because it looks like uh, Twitter is hitting rate limit. So who knows how much longer this site is going to exist? Hard to say. It's been it's been a journey, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting watching something fall apart in real time. Starshine. That's my Tinder profile. (laughs) (laughs) Swipe right. Uh, you can find me at starshinescribbles.com. There's my there's all my games, my portfolios, my blog and all that's there if you particularly want to read someone writing nonsense. Or you can find me on Twitter at, at starshinescrib, starshine followed by S-C-R-I-B because Twitter doesn't let me have scribbles as a name. And yeah, on Starshine you can find all my other social media. I'm on pretty much everything that exists. Going on to MySpace probably soon. I'm also on TikTok, even though I don't know how to use it. So pretty much, if you have a social media platform, I can pollute it for you. I <laughs> love it. Maybe maybe the reason why Twitter's crashing is because they don't let you put scribbles in. <laughs> I know, it's so annoying. <laughs> Every time I go, oh, can't, why can't it? It's the only one that's different. <laughs> Um, you you can find me at at Joska pretty much anywhere except for TikTok, which is just as awful. Same thing with Twitch, actually. My Twitch is also just as awful. Uh, or wannabegames.com <laughs> or drive through RPG and itch for wannabe games. And I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. You can find the website at nerdburgergames.com and the games are all at drive through RPG. Thank you for opening closing the opening and closing theme song, Annunciation which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs. Thank you for listening, but don't don't forget that we have a part two of episode 100 because it's twice the fun, twice the questions. Actually, we have way more questions that we need to cover. So come back. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>